We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. News, Terry Rozier. He'll be the next starting point guard of the Charlotte Hornets. Step back, wide open, and it's good! Terry Rozier! Alright, what's going on everyone? And welcome in to another Buzz Beat, your favorite Charlotte Hornets podcast. The Hornets and the NBA had a nice little layoff here with the All-Star break. Uh, we had some nice participation with our youngsters as well, with Graham and Washington and Bridges playing in the Rising Stars game. And not only that, Miles Bridges did win the MVP of that game. And then the following night, uh, Devontae Graham tallied 18 points, I believe, in his first round and only round of his three-point contest. Charlotte, as a team, has a record of 18-36 and 36 and look to continue to kind of build off of these young players as they head down the home stretch of the season here. So I am Richie Randall and I will be joined today not by our regular co-host of Brian and Spencer, but by Hornets radio play-by-play man John Fokey. John, thanks again for taking out time of your busy schedule. Uh, how's everything going with you? Very good, very good. Happy to join you. John, on this episode, we're going to look back on the season, the first 54 games of the season here and evaluate some of the highs, some of the lows and where this team is headed. But first, what does it mean to this organization and how much stock do you put in this uh, that we saw three of our young prospects, three of our young core pieces participate in Chicago this past weekend? Well, I think it, it speaks about the future of the team. And now, you know, I've, I've been with organizations where uh, they've had uh, three players go to the Rising Stars Challenge. And the next step is to go, how do you go from the Rising Stars Challenge to that game on Sunday? And so I think this is a great step in that, in that direction, I think back to my time with Minnesota when you had Carl Anthony Towns, Andrew Wiggins, and Zach Levine all take part in the Rising Stars Challenge. And, you know, eventually Carl was able to separate himself and, and get to the All-Star game where he, he was there in back-to-back years. And so I think you uh, you send guys to the All-Star, to All-Star Weekend, and they get to take part in the Rising Stars Challenge. And they're around, you know, some of the best of their peers. But also throughout the weekend, they're around the best of the best. And you get an opportunity to spend one-on-one time with those guys. I know Devontae Graham talked at length about wanting to track down Damian Lillard and, you know, just talk to him about, hey, how do you prepare for games? What do you look for? What are, you know, some of the things that you do in warm-ups to get you ready? Because, you know, the way Lillard plays is is somewhat similar to how Devontae right. wants to elevate his game. And so, 
you know, having that opportunity to, to check in with those guys, to talk with those guys and learn from them. And even if you don't get a chance to talk to them, at least just be around them and watch how they conduct themselves, how they carry themselves. I think it's all positive. And, and I think with these guys, and, you know, you could go down the line. I mean, everybody on this team, everybody in the league is super competitive. But you look at these these three guys and the way they've gotten better throughout the course of the year, um, you know that they can use this weekend as motivation. Hey, it was fun to be there on Friday. What do we need to do to be there on Sunday? And I think that uh, bodes well. And I think these guys all have that mindset to keep getting better, to keep growing, and to find their way into that game on Sunday. Right. You get, they get that taste of, you know, playing in that all-star weekend, but, but transitioning from Friday to Sunday is probably a big motivational factor there. Uh, let's take a look back on the season so far. I think we do, should start with uh, who you just mentioned, Devontae Graham. Well documented that Graham has had a hot start, fast start to the season. Uh, he shot 41% from deep in the first 30 games of the season. Although in the last 24 games, he's only shooting 33% from behind the arc. John, what do you think has been the biggest factor in this? Was the first half of the season uh, an anomaly, or do we need to look at this a little bit differently, and he's just kind of hitting a little bit of a, a slump here? Well, I don't I don't even know if you could call it a slump. I think it's defenses uh, suddenly put Devontae at the top of the scouting report, and now it's no longer... You know, okay, Terry Rozier, Miles Bridges, you know, Marvin Williams, and, and whoever else was maybe at the beginning of the year at the top of your scouting report. Now it's all eyes on Devontae. Mm-hmm. And, you, you know, these scouting reports, these defenses are built, number one, to take the ball out of his hands, and, and number two, to make every single touch and every single shot contested and difficult. And so, you know, through the first uh, 30 games that you talked about when he shot 41%, he was still, you know, able to find find open space, and now that open space is is vanishing very quickly if he can find it at all. And so it's an adjustment period right now. How does Devontae attack defenses? Uh, how does the team in general move him around, disguise him, and get him some open looks against these defenses? And then at the same time, you know, how do you use that three point threat? that Devonte is to either set up other guys or take advantage of mid-range game, floater game, getting to the rim, those types of things. And so it's, um, you know, I, I think over the last uh, 24 games or 25 games, whatever you said, we're shooting 33%. I think that's just an adjustment period. I don't necessarily look at it as, oh, Devonte can't hit a three anymore because then he'll step out like he did in Minnesota and hit, you know, five of them and, and hit some clutch ones. So um, it's just, it's a learning process for him. I think it's a learning process for the team. And, um, you know, over the three, I want to say it was like three, four games going into that Minnesota game. Well, the three point shots, you know, weren't coming with the same volume and, and efficiency as earlier in the season, his mid range shot and his floater shot, yeah. he's shooting like 60% on his two point shots going into that game. So he's learning, he's making the adjustment. And, you know, I talked to him after shoot around about that. And he said, Hey, if they're going to constantly run me off the line, I've got to make that a threat. So then that, you know, allows you to, okay, if, if you try to run him off the line, it becomes very good from inside the arc. Well, now you got to adjust to that. And then maybe that opens the three-point line back up again. So um, it's, it's all a learning process, and I think it's great to see him going through this. I think it's great to see him making the adjustment and, and kind of learning on the fly of how to attack defenses and how to take what they're giving them. Yeah, I think, you know, with teams recognizing that he is a threat from behind the arc, and even his rookie season, he shot in the low 30s, and now that he's finally, you know, on tape here, shooting 40% from deep in those first 30 games, teams have been keying in on him, and and he's 
probably become very exhausted having to go against two people, especially on those traps. Uh, he was so good early in the season, especially in the pull-up game, where he shot yeah. 40% on pull-ups. And now that he's having to deal with two defenders, uh, and again, in those last 24 games, he's only been shooting close to like 30 30% on those pull-up threes. And and like you just mentioned, he does have to find that in-between game. He does a good job of splitting the traps and, and getting into the teeth of the defense. And like you mentioned, the last 15 games, from five to nine feet, he's been shooting close to 50%. So a big improvement from the earlier in the season where he was probably shooting in the low 30s from that mid-range game. All right, we're now going to take a quick break to tell you about our sponsor, Bet Online. Bet online, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all things sports. March Madness, the Masters, and Major League Opening Day are right around the corner. Bet online has you covered for all of your latest news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. The best part, when you sign up, you receive a 50% welcome bonus. The Wilder Fury rematch goes down this Saturday night. We can't think of a better way to wager on the fight than doing it with actual free money. Head over to betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. We signed up. It's super easy. And if you're already into betting, it's a fantastic way to support this podcast. Again, that's promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, when you sign up at betonline.ag. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. All right, let's get back to the interview with John. We can't really talk about Graham without actually mentioning Rozier as well. I think Terry and his contract has received some flack over the offseason, but I think that's cooled off uh, as the season has worn on here. For the first time in his career, Rozier is shooting over 40%. He's also eclipsed the 50% threshold for effective field goal percentage. He's definitely had a much larger role with this team than he did in Boston. But again, that's not to say that he hasn't had his struggles. The first 10 games of the season, when Graham was still on the bench, Rozier wasn't shooting the ball as well. But in every game since then, Rozier has been doing a whole lot better, shooting 43% from the field and 39% from behind the arc. I asked this to Rod Boone on an episode back in, in December. How much of this turnaround that Rozier has had since like the 11th game of the season can be attributed to him getting adjusted to his teammates versus him shifting to that off-ball position? Like, how, how much weight do you give to each, you know, sides of that equation there? It's a great question. And I, I think, number one, you give more weight to getting comfortable um, because I think, you know, it, it was a big adjustment. You know, you spent your entire career playing one system. And for the most part, you know, outside of that year where, where everybody was hurt for Boston, he had to step into a larger role, um, you know, he was never – featured the way that he was early on here in, in Charlotte. But then I also think, you know, whether it's the off guard spot or, or not, uh, you know, or whether he's handling the ball, I think putting Devonte in there and the way that Devonte can shoot the ball and the, and the way that he is a threat, I think opens things up for Terry. Cause I, I just go back to the beginning of the season and man, if you watch the tape, it felt like Terry was working so hard to get his shot. You know, there was nothing easy for him because, again, like we just talked about with Devontae, everyone's saying, hey, Terry's going to have the ball in his hands a lot. He's going to be the guy. Put him at the top of the scouting report. Defense is key in on him. And you think about his drives to the basket and, you know, how much time he spent trying to get a guy on his hip and, and muscle his way up from from inside the paint and just 
how difficult it was. And now all of a sudden you got a guy who's a threat in the backcourt with him. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden things are a little bit easier for Terry. He's a little bit more decisive. He's a little bit more comfortable. He's not like what Devontae's seen now. He's not going up against two every single time. And so I think those two things really played, you know, went, went hand in hand. And having that threat in Devontae allowed Terry to get more comfortable uh, a lot quicker and be more decisive. And now, you know, you think about that stretch, I want to say it was from like mid-November into almost the end of December where he was uh, an elite catch-and-shoot guy. He was shooting over 50% on catch-and-shoot threes because, you know, Devontae was such a threat. (laughs) And like Devontae would drive, kick, and boom, there's Terry, catch-and-shoot. And, and, you know, those guys can play each side. So, they, you know, Devontae runs something on the right side, nothing there, swing it back, let Terry run it on the other side. And so uh, I think having those two guys together in the backcourt, the threat that, that both of them are, has opened things up for uh, certainly for Terry to get, get more comfortable. And then, again, just like, you know, being more comfortable in the system, you think back to the beginning of the season and, you know, how, how often did Boston run basically like uh, their center in dribble handoffs? you know, the way that Cody Zeller was, right. was really orchestrating a lot of the offense at the beginning of the season for the Hornets. And, you know, that's an adjustment that's trying to play off a, off a guy who's used to, you know, playing pick and roll with Kemba. And now Cody's got the ball in his hands a lot. And he's trying to, um, you know, set up and, and, and work these DHOs with, with Terry, a guy that he hasn't played a whole lot with. So I really think that the, the getting more comfortable played a big role in it, but also, having a guy like Devontae who's a threat in the backcourt with him open things up as well. Yeah, and you mentioned those catch-and-shoot three-point attempts. He's still shooting 46% from behind the arc mm-hmm. on catch-and-shoot threes, which is awesome. Um, I, I think that pairing him with Devontae, like you mentioned, has opened a whole lot you know, up for him. It felt like maybe when he was in there by himself that he probably tried to do too much. He dribbled too much, which often leads to contested shots. But when you pair him with Devontae, the, the pairing just works for whatever reason. Um, you don't really necessarily view these two as like a, a point guard and a shooting guard here. Just almost two guards that can kind of go interchangeable here. And, and Rozier, you know, playing off ball like we just mentioned, does very well, whether it's like the floppy action, getting him off screens and catching and shooting where he just doesn't have to think as much. And the shots that he receives are definitely less contested than he would if he kind of dribbles it four or five times in a row. One more question I have concerning Rozier, you know, coming from a team like the Celtics where he made the playoffs in each of the four years that he played with that team. And now he's coming to a team that's taking more of an, you know, a patient approach. Can you shed some light on maybe where his head is at and maybe kind of making that mental switch, uh, you know, kind of concerning the team's direction here? Because, you know, I'm sure you've had conversations with him. Has this frustrated him at all coming from a team that's been, you know, used to winning versus a team that's that's gradually kind of going through the process of, of building out a team? Well, what I love about Terry is he's just super competitive. And Mitch Kupchak said that the minute they, they made the deal. James Borrego has talked about that quite a bit. And so all these guys, I mean, you know, we talked about it with the uh, with the Rising Stars guys. They're all super competitive. And, you know, when Terry comes over to the banner to talk after shoot-around or, or after practice, it's so funny. He's like, you can just feel the electricity, like, crackling off his body. He, he stands there and he's like, he's almost like a boxer, like the bob and weave, bob and weave. He just, like, he can't stand still. He's just, like, bouncing on his toes. I mean, this guy, like, it's so fun. I, I almost equate watching him like at certain times throughout the game, like he just stalks the floor, you know, he's got those long arms and he's just, 
kind of stalking around, like waiting to pounce. And that's the way it feels. And so, you know, I, I don't know where he's at as far as, uh, you know, this team um, not at the same at the same level of Boston in terms of competing for one of the top four spots in the in the Eastern Conference. But what I do know about Terry is just that that competitive edge. He's going to bring it every single night. And um, you know whether it's it's this group trying to climb back into the playoff picture, or whether it's you know Boston making their way to the Eastern Conference Finals, um, he's going to be locked in and bring that same type of energy, that same type of competitiveness, no matter what the situation is. And, and I think that bodes, bodes great for this team. And um, I just, you know, I, I think he's a fun guy to talk to. He's a fun guy uh, to listen to. He's a fun guy to watch. And um, he's just really, he has impressed me a lot stepping into this into this role. And just to go back real quick, like I, I want to bring up one other thing about him getting more comfortable. Um, when you think back to the beginning of the season, it seemed like Terry was in foul trouble all the time. And it wasn't necessarily like because he was just out there hacking, but a lot of them came kind of on offensive fouls. And it was, you know, like trying to protect the ball and, and slapping away at guys or using that forearm shiver. And really once he got that under control and, and took away the offensive fouls and, and used those fouls on the defensive end, I think that played a big role in in – you've seen him get more and more comfortable on the offensive end. And so once you eliminated that, suddenly he could stay on the floor longer. He could catch a rhythm more. Then you add in the Devontae factor and everything else. But I truly believe cutting down on those offensive fouls played a big role in it. All right, let's transition over to our last two first-round picks. I, I think the Hornets have actually drafted relatively well since Kupchak has taken over as GM. Our most recent first-rounder, P.J. Washington, might be hitting a little bit of a rough patch, but that's to be expected uh, out of any rookie. But overall, he's been a very, very consistent player on this team. I had the opportunity to speak to uh, his father, Paul Washington Sr., on a previous episode, and he said he always played P.J. up a couple of age groups when he was playing basketball. And this forced him to play the guard position a little bit more. And, and you can see that in his game. You know, he has the ability to drive the ball. He's still working off the drive, but, you know, that that's in his game. He has shined the most probably in, in the post game, but also the pick and pop game. Um, he has the ability to pass out of the post. He has the ability to score out of the post. He actually has the most post-ups out of any rookie this year. And he's shooting 51% out of the post, which is a top 20 number in the NBA, not just rookies, but top 20 number uh, in the NBA. And then also with the pick and pop, he's, he's developing that synergy with Devontae Graham. He's still only shooting 31% on above the break threes. But again, that, that relationship with him and Graham is there. And it's crazy to me because we just mentioned Devontae Graham and Graham is still working on his in-between game. And with that mm -hmm. still being a progress, you would think that teams wouldn't be overly focused on you know Devonte graham's drives so some of these looks that pj are getting wouldn't be as good maybe in future seasons but what has impressed you the most with, with pj washington in his rookie year i think it's his demeanor um and there's nothing that seems to rattle him you know we we're just in detroit uh last week and i was thinking back to the previous time we we're in detroit and the, the hornets rallied back from a 10-point deficit in the fourth quarter and pj hit some huge shots. I mean, he had a couple of threes in that fourth quarter. And then basically to seal it, he went to the free throw line. And, you know, P.J. shooting mid-60s, yeah, maybe 67, yeah. 68% at the free throw line. And he stepped up there, just stone-faced, drilled the first one. And then he turned around, he looked at the bench, and he just cracked a little bit of a smile, and he stepped back and hit the other one. And that was essentially 
I, I don't remember exactly, but it made it a two-possession game, essentially, and, and they went on to win it from there. But uh, his demeanor, right from the jump, he's never too high, never too low. Nothing seems to rattle him. Uh, he'll come down, he'll pipe on somebody, he'll kind of give like a, ah, and then it's just done. He's back to uh, PJ, and that's it. Um, but I, what I really like, too, in addition to his demeanor is one thing that he brought up and that's that passing out of the post because mm-hmm. he can go from either side and he's, he's good at, you know, a hook shot with the right hand, a hook shot with the left hand, but then the recognition when he does get in there, where a double team comes from, can he kick it to the corners? Or if you've got um, another big coming along, you know, in that dunker spot, you can, you can feed like a shovel pass over to him. His, his interior passing has been really good and, I just I, I love the way he sees the floor, and you know we we talk about like five tool players in baseball. I think he's got the ability to be that type of a player uh, at the NBA level because you mentioned his shooting, and that above the break three is going to come. I mean, I watch yeah. him work on that nonstop. But the fact that he's already got a three point shot and he's shooting, I think he's a tick under forty percent right now overall. And it, like, keep this in mind, he's a couple couple percentage points under 40% and he's missed his last 14 straight. So <laughs> that means he was shooting it pretty well before this little swoon here. Um, and so he's already got that in his, in his arsenal and his form and everything else. It's only going to get better as he gets more comfortable. And, and as he, you know, starts to find more and more spots where guys can hit him, like you mentioned in that pick and pop game. Um, but, to be able to go down and take advantage of mismatches and recognize those in the post by scoring or kicking out, I think that to me has been really impressive. And it just shows, it shows that maturity that, that I talked about at the beginning. You know, he's, he's so calm. He's so cool that, Hey, you want to run a double team at him? He's fine. Like how <laughs> this step back survey, make the right play. And, and I think that really is what bodes, bodes well for his future. Yeah, I mean, he's no Jokic out of the post, but uh, he has tallied 17 assists from that post position, which is, again, another top 20 number uh, in the NBA. Let's talk about the other first rounder from 2018 and the MVP of the Rising Stars Challenge, Miles Bridges. Uh, Bridges seems to be somewhat of a polarizing player, I feel like, among Hornets community. There are people who are either down on him or high on him, um, but he's been playing very, very well as of uh, as of recently. But what has impressed you the most with his development from year one to year two and, and just kind of working through those struggles? I feel like he did struggle a little bit to start this season. You know, it's funny. I did not see a whole lot of him last year um, in year number one. I obviously was was working for the Timberwolves. We only saw the Hornets uh, twice throughout that season being in the Western Conference. And so, you know, I didn't really get a chance to see a whole lot of him. But what I've loved uh, this season is just the versatility to his game. I mean, he's got that three-point shot that just looks effortless. It's such a soft shot. You know, rarely – when when Miles misses, rarely do you see like a clang and a long like – disgusting rebound or something i mean his shot is just so soft that uh it just settles in the hoop and and if he misses it's not a wild miss or anything like that um and you know over the last i want to say eight games where he's averaging 20 points and seven rebounds one thing that stood out i was just looking at this because through the beginning of the season he was shooting great as a lefty from i want to make sure i say this right as a lefty from the left corner um, I want to say up until um, maybe like the Denver game or Portland or Utah, something like that. It was that West Coast trip. He was shooting 50% on left corner three, which is rare for a left-handed shooter. Then you look at uh, during this eight-game stretch here, he was averaging 20 points, and 
the left corner threes are down, but he's shooting over 50% from the right corner, <laughs> which makes more sense right. for a lefty to be shooting well from that corner. So it just, what it tells me is he started to figure some things out. Um, he started to get more and more comfortable. Obviously he, he likes those corners. You'd love to get him a ton of looks from those corners, but defenses are so geared to take that away. He's just playing with a different level of confidence that I think really impresses me. And he's another guy like PJ, like Devonte. you know, these guys, uh, they're just mature and they, Obviously, like, they have fun. They're super competitive. But um, I just like how he comes to work every day. And and he's uh, business-like about when you see him on the practice court, when you see him warming up, when you see him doing all those things. And I asked J.B. about this last week, just about Miles in general. And mind you, this was going into the Detroit game. And what Borrego said, which I thought was really interesting, is he's like, I feel like, Miles has turned the corner. Like this is this is the Miles Bridget. Now he's like that doesn't mean he's not going to have a bad night here and there. Right. But he felt like this is who Miles could be on a, on a consistent basis, and just felt like something sort of clicked for him. So I think, hey, you know, whether it's twenty and seven or whether it's you know fifteen to eighteen and and seven and eight rebounds, um, I think those are good numbers that that you want out of a guy like Miles Bridges, and especially if that three-point shot uh, continues to fall. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned Borrego. I think he's done a good job with Miles Bridges this year in terms of game planning and putting him in the best position to succeed. I mentioned this on Twitter about a week or two ago, but he's been very good out of the post. Um, they aren't running a lot for him, but it does seem like it's been more frequent uh, recently. You know, you're kind of eliminating his, his handle when he drives in traffic because that's one thing I feel like he does need to tighten up a little bit because you reduce the dribbling on, on post-ups. Question for you, folks. It's kind of like a trivia, not a trivia question, but... Out of all the players that have at least 80 post-ups this season, okay, it's kind of an arbitrary number to kind of fit Miles in here. Where do you think Miles ranks in terms of field goal percentage out of these attempts? So there's at le- players with at least 80 post-ups in field goal percentage. Where do you think he ranks? Uh, probably in the top 10, I'd say. Okay. Eight. Yeah, he's, he's third. He's third. He's behind Jimmy Butler mm-hmm. and Giannis, and he's shooting 58% on post-ups this season, which is crazy. I mean, not, not a lot of touches compared to those other two players, but, you know, it's definitely something to mention here. Malik Monk, trade deadline is passed. He is still on this team. I think he could have been a potential trade chip, but he stayed in Charlotte. I'm, I'm happy about that. I, I'm really loving this year's version of Monk. He's getting to the rim a whole lot more compared to last season, uh, which he's been very good at, you know, shooting 62% in the restricted area. How much do you think uh, Borrego's, like, preaching aggressiveness on his end has played a role in his kind of development this season uh, for Malik Monk? Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure if it was the coaching staff preaching it or, I mean, Malik preaches it. If you look at Malik's phone, and I know Rod Boone uh, wrote about this, and I, I just saw his phone the other day. It just says, uh, I think it says attack. That's his screensaver, is attack. So whether that came from uh, the coaching staff or whether it just came from Malik recognizing that's how he can be successful, uh, again, I think it kind of goes back like to what we talked about with Terry and Devontae. Like, doesn't matter how, <laughs> doesn't matter how it came about. The fact is, it's working. Mm-hmm. And I think he feels comfortable in it. I know the coaching staff is pleased with how he's been able to attack. And what I really love is, you know, over this stretch here where, where Malik's averaging like, I want to say 17 a game and nine of the 17 are coming um, in the paint. He's shooting, uh, he's shooting 37 or 38% from three. 
And so that tells me, when you look at his overall three-point field goal percentage for this season, he's obviously struggled in that area. But during this stretch where he's been aggressive, where he's been attacking, uh, those those trips into the paint have given him confidence and or set up the three-point game for him. So you're starting to see that balancing out nicely. And again, we just, you know, go back to like encouraging signs and encouraging signs of what we've seen out of, out of miles and PJ and Devante. And I think you could throw that uh, certainly in with what we've seen out of Malik here over the last couple of weeks that um, he's, he's gotten to a point where he knows, Hey, this is kind of my game and this is how I can be successful. And this not only sets up, uh, my teammates, because the more pressure you put on the rim, the more you can drive and kick and make the you know the hockey assist or however however that possession plays out. But also, as more and more teams start to respect that drive, hey, suddenly you're getting a good look at a three, yeah. and so I, I think that's encouraging. He's special when he can get driving towards the rim, and I would love mm-hmm. to see more of like him and PJ play together with some pick and rolls, pick and pop action because you have Monk's driving ability plus PJ's ability to pop or, or get someone open, you know, at the post or whatever. It feels like they don't really play a ton of possessions together. I could be mistaken, but uh, I've always loved Monk's like, you know, obviously athleticism and stuff like that, but his passing has also been just awesome. You know, he has great vision. You don't think of Monk coming out of Kentucky as this passer, but he is. He's shown it on this level. And you just mentioned if he can get that three-point shot, which is a work in progress right now, if he can get that down, he's going to be a well-rounded player uh, in the league for years to come. Last question I have for you. I know this is kind of a wide-open question, John, but what are your thoughts on Cody Martin? Like, what what do you like specifically about his game? Cody is, I mean, you could say this about Caleb too, because it was great to see Caleb get that start against Minnesota and and step in and play well. Um, but again, kind of like PJ, you know, both those guys, they're they're just mature and they're ready for it. And you know, sure, there's going to be nights where where all those guys look like rookies or second year guys, and you're just like, wow, I'm <laughs> trying to keep up against some of the better teams, but. Uh, those guys were able to step in and not be overwhelmed by anything. And I think that's been the most impressive for me. Um, And what I like about what Cody has done, and it was just such a bummer to see him break his nose and have to miss a couple of games after that Houston game, because his three point shot was starting to fall. Uh, His defense I thought was good. His rebounding was good. And then maybe what, you know, to answer your question, what really stands out to me is this kid can attack (laughs) and he's got hops and, you know, and talk about like, uh, coming out and not being overwhelmed by the moment, I think both those dudes are fearless. Like, they attack the rim. Uh, Cody especially, they had some nice, like, in-traffic Euro step into a dunk. I think back to that game against, you know, the first game against Boston when he just, I don't even remember who it was against, Robert Williams maybe, and he went up and threw down so hard. I don't even know if he completed the dunk. I think he did. Um, but he's just fearless going to the basket. And I think that, you know, both that that kind of speaks to the rest of his game that he's he's not scared to take a shot in a big moment. He's not scared to slide in there and sacrifice the body. And he's also not scared to go up and maybe end up, you know, missing a dunk, but he's going to do his damnedest to throw it down on somebody. All right, before we go, Foki, go ahead and plug your Twitter and your podcast because you do have a Charlotte Hornets podcast as well. Yeah, uh, Twitter is at JW Folky, that's F-O-C-K-E, and then uh, 
our podcast banter from the booth and you know we have a lot of fun much like you guys do uh catching up with some of the guys learning their stories sam pearly of hornets.com joins me every couple of weeks and we talk about some of the trends and everything so uh i think each one of these guys richie has such a unique story and, and such a an incredible journey when you think about getting to where they are that one of my favorite things is sit down with these guys and learn about it you know everyone comes from such diverse backgrounds and how they got to the nba there's no cookie cutter way uh, to go there's no like this is the absolute path mm-hmm. start your kid doing this and so you know it's just fun to learn these guys stories and um yeah i mean if you're looking for for great stories and, and news and stuff uh, surrounding the team banter from the booth is our podcast and we're on itunes spotify stitcher spreaker you know everywhere you get your podcast so uh yeah hopefully hopefully everyone can can get on board and get caught up on some of the past episodes because it's been a lot of fun telling the stories of this team yeah, I was listening to the one the other day about Terry Rozier. I know that was probably weeks and weeks ago or months ago, really, and his uh, upbringing with football and just, you know, have bringing that tough aspect uh, to him. Yeah. And you see that, like, you know, going up for boards and stuff like that. So that that was a good good listen. You get an insight with his podcast versus ours. We don't have any players, unfortunately, but uh, John Folkey does on his podcast. Thanks again, guys, for tuning in to another Buzz Beat. Make sure you guys are subscribed to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. The Hornets will take on the 19 and 36 Bulls Thursday night. For John, I am Richie. We'll see you guys next time. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.